So this morning's the first reading, or the second reading, we already read together the psalm, is from the Gospel of Luke. It is the traditional reading for the first Sunday of Lent, for it describes Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And what takes place just before Jesus is pulled or driven by the Spirit to the wilderness is that Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan, which really marks the beginning of his ministry. And it says when he was baptized that the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. The accuser said to him, if you are the Son of God, I command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then his challenger led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And his challenger said to him, To you I will give the glory and all the authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve only God. And finally, his accuser took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written in the Psalms, On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when his accuser had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This ends the reading from the Gospel of Luke. And then you also probably are aware that in Lent, letters or epistles is one of our themes. We have a Lenten devotional filled with letters or reflections about letters written or received. And then we also have the gift of Paul's letters to the church. This one from his letter to the church in Rome. The world is near you. The world is on your lips and in your hearts. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him, you will be loved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek the same God is God of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. Today's reflection, makes sense, is for the first Sunday of Lent. That period of 40 days, minus the Sundays, in which we prepare our hearts for and examine our lives to prepare them for the coming of Easter. We ready ourselves for the discovery of the journey of Lent. A Lent that is not without its bumps or challenges, for it takes us to Holy Week, through Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then to Easter. So it is a journey that takes us to the empty cross. Now the cross, obviously, is the central symbol of our Christian faith. So I thought it appropriate that I would, on this first Sunday of Lent, offer sort of a teaching sermon entitled The Testimony of the Cross. 
I will begin in just for a moment and come back to it, speaking about this cross in particular. It's a replica of that cross, which is above the altar screen. The original, this is a replica, and it was carved by a well-known sculptor in the late 20s by the name of Emil Zettler. And it was original, and is original, to this church. But before we go deeper into that, I want to remind you that it's, at least for my own faith, helpful to remember that the disciples found Jesus' path to the cross rather unnerving. It's said that the closer that Jesus gets to Jerusalem, going there for Passover, which we now, for us, becomes our Holy Week, the closer that Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the more the disciples become anxious and scared. They know that there's going to be trouble there. And so the closer that Jesus gets to the cross, the less that his disciples seem to get him. But I get that too. I mean, let's be honest, the cross, then and now, is a rather peculiar symbol of hope. So much so that some churches in today's world have removed their crosses from their places of worship because they found that for some it's too unnerving, unsettling to think of Jesus dying on the cross. And I don't know, I'm not judging that. Maybe those churches are right. I mean, the message of Lent would be probably a lot more easier to understand, maybe even more palatable, if Lent's end wasn't with Jesus on the cross. I mean, it would be way simpler to make Facebook posts that would attract people to your church if you said on Facebook, um, sing in our choir and discover how to make millions in real estate. <laughs> or next Sunday sermon, pastor reveals the cure for male pattern baldness. <laughs> Who's not coming then? That'll sell. But come follow one who suffers. Who suffers because he won't stop teaching that the poor and the marginalized are loved by God. Who won't stop telling anyone who will listen that we need to welcome the stranger as we would someone we love the most. I mean, those are tougher messages, whether it's the first or the 21st century. And yet, we still have, in one of the letters from the Apostle Paul, this very simple message about our faith. Without the cross, we've got no Easter. But now this cross, the one that is specific to our church, has several symbols embedded into it that maybe might help your Lenten journey. Surrounding the cross are four eagles. They're not doves, they're eagles. And eagles, we actually read it in the opening psalm with the, um, that Helen so beautifully read for us. The eagles protect their young. And whenever you see four together, it's always representing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, right? But the eagles, and you see it, I think, even more clearly in the cross that's above the altar screen, the, the eagles are set on a disc or a circle, which is symbolic of the light of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, that still guides our lives. And of course, that's a circle, and circles have no end. 
And so the disc on this cross reminds us of our belief that in Jesus Christ, there is life without end. Whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. And in the very center of the cross, right in the smaller disc, are vines and leaves, but most, more specifically, grapevines, which reminds us that Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples during that week of Passover, the one that we now call Holy. And he did something audacious, and you'll hear us say it again uh, Monday, Thursday, and Pastor Meredith will say it as she brings us to the table today. Jesus says something astonishing. He says, and any of the faithful Jews would have understood that this was bordering on blasphemy. He said, I have for you another commandment, another law, to love one another as I have loved you. Well, it's a beautiful design, right? I mean, it is. And, a be and the beauty, I think, helps form the testimony of the cross. And yet, the aesthetic quality of it might very well obscure the fact that the cross is a peculiar symbol of hope. I mean, remember, it's a tough message to sell now, and it was a tough message in the first century to the Jews and Gentiles who were perplexed. Perplexed that these followers of the Nazarene of Christ would claim that an instrument of fear and death was in fact a symbol of hope and life. And the Romans and Greeks didn't get it at all. The Romans and Greeks had lots of gods, but their understanding of a god who suffers and understands the human condition was incomprehensible to them. To the Romans and the Greeks, the best that you could expect from the pantheon of gods that they would make sacrifices to, the best that you could expect is that they might leave you alone. And at worst, if you make some mistake in a sacrifice, they might punish you. But love you? Forgive you? Care about the human condition? Incomprehensible. Maybe, maybe because the cross was such a perplexing symbol, maybe that's why the cross doesn't appear in any Christian art until the fourth century. But the shaping of the cross on the forehead of those who are baptized is almost from the very beginning. It's really the late or early first century that they believe in baptisms, and it was only adults at the time, the sign of the cross would have been made upon the forehead. And here's, why so, here's what some scholars surmise why that began in baptism. is because in those first roughly 300 years of the Christian faith, it was illegal uh, in, the, in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. And depending on the emperor, you could be persecuted, killed for following Jesus. And the Roman Empire, because it was spread throughout what is now modern Europe and the Middle East and Northern Africa, the, the Roman Empire, when they would send their soldiers to the far-flung reaches of it, they would actually brand some of their soldiers with the symbol of the Roman Empire so it was permanently on their bodies so that they would know to whom they belonged, and they belonged to the emperor. They belonged to the empire. And if you encountered a soldier in those far-flung regions, 
you would know to whom they belong as well. You wouldn't understand a word of what they were speaking, but you would know they belonged to the emperor. And Christians said, we belong to no earthly power, no self-proclaimed God like an emperor. They said we belong to no political party, no president, no earthly kingdom. We only belong to God. And as an act of protest, they would make the sign of the cross with water, which was necessary for life, with water upon every person who was baptized. And they did it as an act of protest to say, we belong to no emperor, but we belong to the one who is love. I don't know about you, but I am really worn out by winter. Normally, native Chicagoan and all, I like to scoff at people who complain about winter, like, duh, it's winter, what do you expect? But not this year. Winter seems to have brought me to my knees, which is why I think it was so lovely to sing the middle hymn. The middle hymn is, in some respects, a reminder. Maybe it's a, it's a post-it note on your refrigerator for Lent. Because we sang these words that in the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. There's a dawn for every darkness, bringing hope to you and me. Exactly. There's a spring that waits to be. Dawn always follows the night. And the cross and the season of Lent both testify to the sometimes remarkable experience that victory can first be disguised as defeat. That's what making the sign of the cross upon someone who was baptized did as well. The cross, an instrument of fear, of death, becomes a symbol of freedom and hope. And indeed, sometimes victory can be disguised as defeat. So Lent and the cross, they bring hope to you and me. So come to this table with that hope in your heart. Amen.